Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to welcome all of you who are listening online today. We're so happy and proud that you are a part of this service. And for everyone on all four of our campuses that are in person, yay God for you. Thank you so much for being here at our Darrington campus and our Richmond Rosenberg campus at our Missouri City campus and at our Sugar Land campus. God just keeps expanding this church. And I'm going to tell you something. Something happened last Sunday that was a milestone. We had 52% of our pre-COVID attendance in person last Sunday. Do you know what that means? It means we're halfway back. Half of us have gotten back, and the other half, I know, are thinking about it. I know that you're thinking about when it is that God wants you to come back. We are halfway there. That's pretty amazing, if you ask me. And here's what I want to say to you. If you are listening online and you begin to feel in your heart, hey, I think maybe it's time we would love to have you back in person as well. Come when you're comfortable. Whenever that is, we welcome you back in person. I think pretty much everybody understood that at the conclusion of the presidential election, there would be a whole bunch of happy people and there would be a whole bunch of sad people. We had to have come to that conclusion because it is obvious that America is split right down the middle with only a hair's difference between the two positions. So some were going to be happy and some were going to be sad. But I'm going to tell you what I think this election really has shown. I think this election sh is showing us that it's time for both sides to stop yelling at each other and start listening to each other and talking to each other again. And I think that because it was so close, it is obvious that Americans need to find common solutions that the extremes are never going to work in America. There have got to be common solutions that we find that solve our problems. But can I tell you also what I think this election has shown? That when all is said and done, whenever that is, and all the smoke is cleared and all the fog has rolled back whenever that is. My prayer for America is that we would come back together and we would come back to God. We would truly be one nation under God again. And if you share that, be praying about that. Would you do that? And I know some of you, you're saying, look, that is impossible in America. But I got to tell you, we've got a God that specializes in impossible. So let's go to him. Let's ask him. Let's pray down revival and the coming back together as a nation and the coming back to God. Let's pray about that. Next weekend is going to be, I think, probably the greatest weekend this year at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And I say that because of what is about to happen next weekend. We've called it unshakable. 
that even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of the COVID virus, God has continued to move in this church and to allow this church to have an impact in this region and around this world. And you will see that next weekend. Next Sunday night, there is a program that's going to be online, and I hope that you'll sign up to be a part of that. And what will happen to you, I promise you this, what will happen to you next Sunday night when you watch this one-hour special that we're going to be airing, you will be saying to yourself, I had no idea. I did not know Sugar Creek is there. Sugar Creek is there. I cannot believe what God has done in this church. All this has been taking place in the middle of a pandemic. Are you serious? You will be stunned. You will be amazed. And it will be so obvious that the power of the Holy Spirit is anointing this ministry and using this ministry around the world to continue touching lives. Thousands of people have come to know Christ. Hundreds of churches have been planted, even in the midst of a pandemic. Give us the opportunities to share the story. Next Sunday night, you will be amazed at what God is doing in our midst. This year, isn't it true? Every single one of us have been praying for other people, maybe members of our family have gotten sick or maybe other people that we've known in the church that have been sick or other people around the world, maybe people we don't even know. We've been praying that God would do a supernatural intervention in their life and there would be a supernatural healing that would take place. But what does the Bible even teach about this subject? What does the Bible teach about supernatural healing? I want to talk to you about that very thing today. We have reached the passage of Scripture in James chapter 5 where James addresses this topic. And I don't imagine that I'm going to answer every question in just 30 minutes, but at least we'll give it a running start. And it is James chapter 5 and beginning in verse 14. So listen to what he says. Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man, and by the way, a righteous woman, is powerful and effective. In my ministry, I have seen people supernaturally healed of terminal cancer and of other diseases. Early in my ministry, I became friends with a particular other pastor who had been a lifelong type one sugar diabetic. He, he had been on insulin and a special diet for most of his life, most of his adult life. But one day as he was praying, he began to feel that God was going to heal him supernaturally of sugar diabetes. He claimed that in his quiet time. And then he, he decided, I, I, he did the right thing, by the way. He went back. He didn't get off his insulin. He, did, he didn't stop his special diet. He went back to his doctor, who, by the way, was also a Christ follower. And he shared what God had impressed on his heart. And he said, I'm just in here. I want to get some blood tests. I want to see if God has already healed me. 
Well, the doctor said to him, well, I'm going to tell you something. A person can't be a type 1 sugar diabetic and then not one, uh, except for a supernatural intervention of God. So we're going to take the blood test. He gave him, took one blood test, a second one, and a third one. And when all three had come back, he said to my friend Cliff, he said, Cliff, you and I know we've been, had a relationship or friendship all these years. You have been a type one sugar diabetic. But I can tell you the last three blood tests we have taken show no diabetes whatsoever in your body. And he said, I don't have any explanation for what has happened except a miraculous intervention of God. But he said, I'm going to ask you just to be sure. I'm going to ask you if you do me a favor. Would you come back in every month and I want to take another test just to be careful? And Cliff did. Cliff lived the next 25, 30 years of his life off of insulin and off of the special diet and not one trace of sugar diabetes in his life. He's now in heaven, yea, God for him, but it wasn't because of sugar diabetes. God healed him supernaturally. God still heals. God still intervenes in the lives of some. He doesn't heal everybody supernaturally, but he does heal some people supernaturally. So what does the Bible teach about this whole issue of supernatural healing? I want to talk to you about that very thing today. And I think the best way to start with this is maybe to get a better understanding of where does sickness come from? First of all, sickness can be the result of violating God's laws of nature and morals. The Bible is very clear that when God created the human body, he created an amazing machine. It is incredible what God put together in our bodies, the ability to fend off diseases, the, the, the ability to repair itself. It is amazing this body that God has given to us. And if we, if we will eat right, if we will, will eat the right kinds of things and drink the right kinds of things and get rest and, and, and use sanitation and use common sense, it is amazing how strong, how healthy of a human body that God has given to us. 3,500 years ago, God spoke a word to Moses, and he gave to Moses all of these rules and regulations. Eat this, don't eat that. Drink this, don't drink that. Have all of these, all of these sanitation rules and all these rest rules. If you, if you will take a look at what God told Moses, it is absolutely amazing. That's why researchers today and medical, uh, 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 medical doctors today, when they read these rules and regulations that God gave to Moses 3,500 years ago, they're still amazed because they, they were, it was science way before its time. There's no way he could have known. Don't eat that. Eat this. Don't drink that. Drink this. Have these rules of sanitation that other people did not have. And it is why all the nations around the Israelites, when the Israelites obeyed those laws, 
When they ate the right things, drank the right things, had the right rest, they had the right sanitation, they lived a more healthy life than the other nations around them. And the Bible simply says this, God speaking in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all the statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians for I, the Lord, am your healer. He is saying, if you'll listen to me, if you will obey me, if you do what I tell you to do, it is amazing the health you will have because I'm the one that created your body. Well, that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. When they obeyed, they were more healthy than any of the other nations around. And it's not just then, it is also now. In 2016, Harvard professor Dr. Tyler Vanderweel and a journalist named John Sinniff wrote a USA Today op-ed entitled, Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. They had conducted a study for 15 years, and now they were writing about this study. And the beginning of the piece started this way. If one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? And then the authors go on to talk about what the research demonstrated, the mental and physical health benefits that are correlated, and I'm telling you the truth, with one, reading the Bible. This is what they mentioned in the story. Reading the Bible, obeying what you've read in the Bible, and going to church on a regular basis. I'm not kidding. And in fact, here is their end quote. For most Americans, going to church reduced mortality rates by 20 to 30% over a 15-year period. What does it mean? You go to church on a regular basis, you will live longer. By the way, if you go to Sugar Creek, it's probably double. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's, that research is still out there. Furthermore, they say research suggests that those who regularly attend services are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, are less likely to commit suicide, have a greater purpose in life, are less likely to divorce, and are more self-controlled. The truth is, this isn't the first study to say these things. In fact, over the last 50, 60, even 70 years, uh, there have been dozens of studies. I've read these over the last several decades, and they all come out the same, that if you will read the Bible, you will obey the Bible, you will attend church on a regular basis. And right now, even if you just watch it online, if you will connect yourself, it is amazing the difference it will make in your life health-wise. It is amazing the difference it'll make in the length of your life. Here's the truth. All the way back to Moses and all the way to today, if we'll do what God tells us to do, live the way God tells us to live, we will be healthier and we will live longer. 
But if we refuse to do it, we will have illnesses. We will die prematurely simply because of an unwillingness to say yes to God. Now, that's not with all illnesses, and understand that. One of the aspects have to do with the level of our obedience. One. But another one is that sickness is also simply a result of living in a fallen world. Our bodies wear out, natural disasters happen, new diseases emerge, our body isn't prepared for, and injustices take place. It's not the way God made the world. God created the universe perfect. It is because of the fallenness of mankind. And so when the Bible talks about the subject of illness, sometimes it says that it is a temporary discipline of God. Some of them are. That some of them are God's way of bringing us to heaven. But God intends for us to experience healing in most. Sometimes that healing is because of medicine. Sometimes it is a natural thing. Sometimes it is a supernatural healing. But it isn't always supernatural. I mean, when you read uh, what happens with Epaphroditus or Paul or Timothy or Trophimus in the New Testament, they had illnesses that were not supernaturally healed. And if there was anybody that were men of faith, it was these guys. Sometimes God intends to heal supernaturally. Sometimes he does not. So how do we make sense of all of this? Well, listen to what James teaches us in this passage. When we are sick, what are we to do? And listen to what he says. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The word that he uses for sick in this verse means a desperate illness. It means a life-threatening illness. He's not talking about something our toes are having uh, indigestion. He is talking about something that is very serious, something that is uh, a serious illness in our life. And James says that when one of these moments come for you, here is how you should respond. And he gives us four prescribed steps to follow. So let's look at them. First of all, he says, let them call for the elders. Now notice, it is the person who is ill that is to initiate all this process. The person who has gone through this terrible thing who is to call for the elders. By the way, they have to have elders to call for elders. An elder, the word elder simply means pastor. It's another name for pastors. In other words, they cannot be disconnected. There were no Lone Ranger Christians in first century. Everybody in first century knew, I, gotta, I need other people. I, I've got to be a part of other people's lives. I've got to be connected to the body of Christ. I can't sit at home and do nothing and have nothing to do with other believers and expect to be strong in my Christian life. It just won't happen. Now, there are people today who believe that I don't need the church. I don't need anything to do with those Christians. I'll be just as close to God that I would be if I went to church. Well, there is, that is nothing but a lie from hell itself. The truth is we need each other. 
The truth is we need to be with each other. We, we need to worship with each other. We, we need to study the Bible, the Word of God together with each other. We need each other. And they understood that in first century. So call for the pastors of your church. That's what James is saying. Second of all, then James says, the elders are to anoint that person with oil. I've read two different interpretations of what that means. What, what does it mean to, to ask the elders to come and anoint you with oil? What does that mean? Well, one interpretation is seek the best medical advice available because oil was used medicinally in the first century. So he was just saying, seek for the best medical advice. Well, that can't be what he's saying. There were doctors in first century. Why are you going to the pastor to find out medical advice? You go to a doctor to find medical advice. So why would he call for the elders to come and anoint with oil? That doesn't even make sense. No, it is the second understanding that James is talking about. And the second is simply this. The oil is to be used as a symbol of faith in God's ability to heal. It's not seeking medical advice. It's being anointed with oil with that oil being a symbol of faith. I believe in a God that can heal supernaturally. Do you remember the story in Jesus' ministry where he, he came across this guy who was blind and, and the guy said, would you heal me? And Jesus took some dirt in his hand. Do you remember that? And he spit into that dirt to make it mud? How much spit did it require to make that turn into mud? And then he took the mud and he laid it on the man's eyes and he said, now you go wash. Now, what was the purpose of the mud? It wasn't medicinal. It, it wasn't magic. It was a symbol of faith. Go wash this mud off your eyes as a symbol of faith and be healed. And the man did it, and he was healed. Now, James is saying, call for the elders to anoint you with oil. Aren't you glad he didn't say to anoint you with spit? Aren't you glad it's oil? Go to the elders and have them spit on you. No, he said, anoint them with oil and yea, God, for that. The third, well, before I get to the third is this. Early in my ministry, I came to understand this whole idea of anointing with oil. Three churches ago in my ministry, I had a man and, and, uh, and his wife come to my office, and she was crying. She said, I, I have been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and they're telling me I, I only have a few months left. And she cried, he cried, and before it was over, I cried. I love this family. But I'd already come to this conclusion about what James had said, and I actually kept oil in my office, just if somebody ever asked. And I said to them, I read the passage to them, and I said, would you like me to anoint you with oil? And she said, I would love it if you did that. I anointed her with oil, just like James says and prayed for her. I asked for several of the pastors to come into the office. We prayed over her and asked for her healing. A few weeks later, he and she came back to my office unannounced, 
they wanted to surprise me, sat in my office and said, they are now telling me that the cancer is gone. They cannot find it anywhere. They do not have any answers for this, but they're telling me it's gone. Well, let me just tell you, she lived 20, 30 more years. Never had cancer again in her life. God healed her supernaturally. Two churches ago, I was the co-pastor at First Baptist Church of Houston with Dr. Prasanya. And I, we got a call. I got a call. A member of the church called me and said, a woman in the church said, I have been told I've got terminal cancer. I've got weeks to live. Would you mind coming and anointing with, with oil? I carried oil. I've got oil in my office right now. I've carried oil fr from the very beginning almost. And I said, I'd be glad to do that. I got some pastors to go with me. We went to her house and we anointed her with oil. I said, there is nothing magical about the oil. It's just a symbol of faith that we believe that God can heal. And she said, that's all I need. And we anointed her with oil. And a few months later, she gave me a call and said, the cancer is totally gone. They said, there is no trace of cancer whatsoever. I've had that happen in the last three churches of my ministry. But can I tell you, most of the people I anointed with oil did not get healed supernaturally. God healed some, but he didn't heal all. And in fact, he didn't heal most. In my master's degree at Southwestern Seminary, one of my friends who became a pastor was telling me about, well, he was a pastor at that time, but, but he went on in the ministry. And, and he said to me that a guy had come, and he had terminal cancer in his church that he was pastoring, and he anointed it with oil, and he, was, and he was healed supernaturally. But he said most of the people that he anointed with oil have not been healed supernaturally. In my doctorate degree, I had a pastor that I came to know and friends with, and he was talking about a man that was, had a lung disease that he anointed with oil. And he said the man was healed that day. It wasn't later. It was at that moment, that day, and the man was healed. But he said most of the people I've anointed with oil were not healed supernaturally. The point is simply this, that the oil is a symbol of faith, but a, not, a, not a guarantee for healing not a guarantee for healing. So will we anoint with oil in this church? I've been doing it ever since I've been here. Absolutely yes. Why? Because the Bible says to do it. We're people of the book, amen? We do what it tells us to do. You bet. You want to be anointed with oil. You come to my office. That's exactly what we'll do. So why are not everyone supernaturally healed. Why only some? Listen to the third step. Pray in the name of the Lord. That's what James says. Pray in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord and the will of the Lord are the same. To pray in the name of the Lord does not mean to put at the end of your, your prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. That, that's not what that means. To pray in the name of the Lord means after his purpose, after God's purpose, after God's will in your life, pray in accordance to his will. Let me give you an illustration I think will help. 
There's a guy that works for business, and he was going on a business trip. And before he went on a business trip, his boss brought him in. I want you to go represent the company on this business trip. Here is a credit card from our company. Now, everywhere you go, you, you, for your transportation, for, for uh, your hotel, for your food, whatever you need on this trip, charge it in the name of the company on this credit card. So the guy did. He, he charged his, his, uh, his tra transportation, his hotel. But while he was there on the trip, he decided what he really needed was a set of new golf clubs. So he went to a store. He bought a set of new golf clubs, and he used the company's card to do it. So now he is in front of his boss. He gets out all of his receipts. He's got to get this PO that is uh, purchase order that is all signed. And he's going, boss is going through all of the receipts. Okay, the transportation, hotel. Wait, wait a minute. New golf clubs? He said that you told me I could get anything I needed. He said in the company's name what the purpose of the company is. No, you're going to have to buy the golf clubs out of your own pocket. Do you see the idea? In Jesus' name means after his purpose, after his will. Why does God heal some people supernaturally, but not heal other people supernaturally? I don't know. It's one of the questions I have when I get to heaven one day. I'm going to ask the question. I've had people say to me, you get to heaven, you won't have any questions to ask God. Well, maybe so, but right now I got a bunch, and if I still have them, this is one of those questions. Why some, and why not all? Manly Beasley was a friend of mine. Manly's in heaven today, but early in my ministry, I was just a young, young pastor, and I met Manly Beasley. We became friends. I loved him. He loved me. We, I had him in every church that I, I pastored. Manly Beasley was the greatest man of faith I've ever personally known. I considered him to be Elijah. This man knew how to trust God. This man was the most amazing man of faith I have ever known. I would always have him come and teach on faith in every church that I pastored. Manly Beasley, as a young man, contracted three terminal illnesses all at the same time. How is that even humanly possible? Three terminal illnesses at the same time. When he did, some of his close friends then, Jack Taylor, Ron Dunn, and others went to go pray for him. And as they were praying for Manly Beasley, they were praying for God to heal him supernaturally. And Manly stopped the prayer. And he said, you can't pray for me to be healed supernaturally. I don't know that that's God's will for me. I want you just to pray, God, show manly your will for his life. That's all I want you to pray. And that's what they prayed. And a few months later, Manly told me, he said, it was as clear as day. God said to me, I am not going to heal you of these three terminal diseases. I'm going to put all three in remission at the same time to show my power and my strength in your life. And then I'm going to use you to be a testimony of faith for me for the rest of your life. But when, and this is what God said to him, when, Manly, you have welcomed your last grandchild into the world, I'm bringing you home. 
When his last grandchild was born, in a few days after that, Manly Beasley went to heaven. You see, God has a will for every one of our lives. God is not asking us to pray according to our will. He's asking us to pray according to his will. To pray in faith means that we understand the will of God and we are praying that will of God. To pray in the name of the Lord is to pray after his will. So here's the fourth step. Pray in faith. Faith is the trusting obedience to the revealed will of God. Faith is not, here's what I want, so I've mustered up enough faith. God, I really believe you'll do what I want. Faith is asking God, what do you want? What do you want to do in my life? Because I want to pray according to your will. And whatever you tell me to do, that is how I will pray. To pray in faith means that I am praying as much as I understand according to the will of God, and I am trusting for God's will to be accomplished. I've encountered people in my life, maybe you have too, who have said, I've heard them say it. To other people, I've heard them say it. Well, if you had enough faith... God would have healed you, but because you didn't, you aren't healed. I want to tell you what I think about those people. They may mean right, but they're messengers of guilt, not messengers of faith. And what I do is ignore them. Because here is the truth. God has a will for your life, and that person doesn't know that will. God will reveal his will to you. You open your heart, and to pray in faith is to pray according to the revealed will of God in your life. James chapter 5, verse 15 says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. That, that offer of faith is according to the will of God, will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. God heals some people supernaturally. He doesn't heal everyone supernaturally. Why? I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that God wants to save you. I know he wants to forgive you. I know he wants to cleanse you of your sin. I know he wants to bring you into his family. And if you will ask him, if you will repent of your sin and turn your heart by faith to Jesus Christ, he will save you and forgive you and make you a part of his family. And I want to challenge you to do that today. If you've never given your heart to Christ, if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, would you do that today? Would you give your heart to him? Ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you and give your heart to him, and he will answer that prayer with a yes. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and we acknowledge, Lord, we need you. And there are some that are listening online, some that are in one of our, our worship centers today that need to know Jesus as Savior. And I pray, Father, right now, you would move in their heart that this would be the day of salvation, that they would accept Jesus Christ and commit their heart by faith to Jesus Christ today. 
Move in hearts, Father, to be saved today. And Father, move in hearts today who are ill and do not know your will. Oh, God, show your will what you want to do in their life and let them pray according to your will about their life. Show them. Reveal yourself to them, we pray. Help us to better understand all of this. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen and amen.